This podcast is produced and copyrighted by 83 Bar Incorporated. It is designed as a general informational resource, and neither the sponsors nor guests are rendering any professional or medical advice. The opinions and claims presented by the guests are their own. Any trademarks used are the property of their respective owners. Welcome to The Patient Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. Presented by 83Bar. We share interviews with healthcare executives, medical providers, and patient advocates. My guest is Michael Bjerns. He's manager of new products and business development at Janssen. We learn what they hear from the patients they serve and how their innovations will improve the patient's journey. The biggest thing is put yourself in the shoes of the patient and seek out some of those patient stories. and You incorporate patient voice into every conversation and I don't care what function you're in, you can do that. You can say, well, is this best for the patient? Is this going to improve our ability to help the patient down the future? Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson. Hello, friends, and welcome to one of the first episodes of our new podcast, The Patients Speak where we combine business and science innovation with how the patients need to be represented in research and marketing and outreach. One of the topics we're going to discuss today is how we make sure the patient's voice is heard all through that research process on into development and commercialization of new products. With my guest, Michael Bjarns. Michael is the manager of new products and business development at Janssen, one of the pharmaceutical companies of Johnson & Johnson. Mike, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. It's great to be here. Well, Mike, you've worked in cancer research, clinical diagnostics, neuroscience, cardiovascular disease. I I just look across the breadth of the categories and, and the functions that you've had. How have you made sure that the patient's voice is heard? Yeah, I've been very fortunate in the kinds of opportunities that I've had so far in my career. It's been about over over a decade now, somehow. It uh, goes quick. But I can tell you that no matter what role I was in, the patient was at the forefront. And that goes to, to what you've already alluded to, foundational basic research at a breast cancer center at an academic institution looking at drug target discovery. There we're looking for unmet need, you know, can we find patients and better diagnose patients looking for drug targets potentially, or even biomarkers to a diagnostic company? Again, very heavily involved nowadays in precision medicine. Can we make sure that the right medicine goes to the right patient by introducing diagnostics, new biomarkers, new signals to make sure that, you know, doctors and patients can make informed decisions? To even at the nonprofit, uh, where you know I was managing strategic partnerships between large pharmaceutical companies, hoping to enroll clinical trials, leveraging partnerships with FDA, NIH, and and how can we develop these broad-based partnerships to better inform our clinical trial design and execution. And now, obviously, in the pharmaceutical sector, you know, the patient's at the center of everything that we do. I can tell you, being in new product development, we get patient insights every step of the way, and we try to make sure that any decision that we make has the patient at the center of every single one of our decisions. Uh, That's helpful. And I think when you're talking about inclusion, exclusion criteria, patient condition and demographics, but let's get down to the patient connection. You know, what are some of the channels that are methods that you found helpful to really bring the patient to life in either some of those meetings or some of those strategies? 
Yeah, so when we have the opportunity to, I'll try to incorporate aspects from all walks of life. The nonprofit was a really interesting role that I had because we had the opportunity to bring in patient advocacy groups, have patient voices brought into our conferences and meetings. They were representing themselves and advocating for themselves and their peers that were struggling with a given disease. I can tell you even in the pharmaceutical sector, we have patient advocacy arm where their entire mission is to engage with advocacy groups, understand what the needs are. They, in a very compliant way, talk with patients and engage in patient advisory councils who can tell us, you know, where are their pain points along their patient journey, whether that's in the diagnosis, whether that's in fulfilling a medication or getting the right medication, access to medication. So that's the advocacy arm. I can tell you, regardless of whether it's the market marketing arm or or whatever, medical affairs, we have all sorts of teams within our company. Each and every one of them is trying to incorporate patient insights, the patient voice into our decision making to ensure that as we are developing a new product and bringing it to market, we do it thoughtfully and we're doing it to address those pain points and make whatever disease or condition we're working on that patient's journey to have an improved outcome. Yeah, thinking about even the word pain points, It's kind of a vernacular that we like to use in business, but it really is a placeholder for this is something going on in the real life of the patient. Can you think of a story or an encounter you might have had with a patient or a patient group where their story really did impact you and maybe even change the direction that you were taking? Yeah, I can tell you when when we brought in, it was a patient to talk about, it was Alzheimer's research that we were doing, and we were trying very hard to make sure that we had diverse groups represented in our trials at that time. And we had someone come in and, and talk about the history of their experience, their family's experience with physicians, with the healthcare system generally. And it really brought to light how we need to better engage, not just with patients, but with communities, community leaders, folks who are very well-trusted individuals, because unfortunately, you know, there are massive disparities of health depending on where you live. And, you know, you may or may not have been treated better or worse, depending on where you've tried to go and get care. So it's our responsibility to help improve access for everyone not just those who live next to, you know, the big, new, shiny institution that has all of the great resources. And we need to engage those individuals in a way that will bring forth the right voices, the trusted advisors, the trusted community leaders to ensure that individuals know of the types of care that can be achieved no matter where you are, no matter where you live, no matter what demographic you might have. And you're bringing up some of these health gaps, these disparities, and we Again, we're focused a lot these days on diversity and equity and inclusion, especially in clinical trial recruitment. What are some of the things that you're seeing that are helping the recruiters of clinical trials improve their reach, be more inclusive, improve that diversity? So a lot of it is this engagement with broader communities, trying to trying to understand the stakeholders who are truly leaders to a a given community, to a given population, right? People who are trusted advisors and building those relationships. And it takes time and it takes effort. It's not just a simple, you know, marketing campaign. This means face-to-face interactions, dealing with key opinion leaders and, and making sure that you're not just talking about a product, you're talking about 
education, so disease state awareness, understanding the patient journey, and bringing, as you said, pain points, but making it known that these issues are not just theirs, that these are shared experiences, and that we're trying to listen and we're trying to make improvements. And and so it goes to a lot of this patient education early and often and, and just trying to get as much engagement with the key stakeholders as possible. And I know the presenters of this podcast, 83 Bar, are engaged in that kind of education. So I wanted to pull on that string a little bit more. You're almost describing this trusted intermediary in the community, that it's not simply a maybe company or sponsor to patient directly, but there's some sort of community member, an intermediary. Tell me more about what you're saying there. Yeah, so it's highly dependent on the therapeutic areas, what I'm seeing, and the disease. So you see some diseases where the patients really trust their doctors to make the right decisions for them because it could be really scary, life-threatening, and they feel like you know that's the best trusted source that they have. There are other instances, whether it's due to how folks have been treated in the past or whether the, some of those disparities that we talked about, where we do need to engage unique members. You know, we've heard things from community centers, you know, pharmacists, nurse practitioners, at-home nurses, or it could be depending on the demographic. It could be folks that work in elderly care. It's making sure that you're engaging with the folks that deal with the patients the most and who the patients trust. So it's, again, getting out there, talking to as many patients as possible, understanding what does their day-to-day look like? How do they live with their disease? Who do they engage with and who do they listen to? And then making sure that we're educating across all of those stakeholders that they identify. And unfortunately, there's no one-stop shop answer, right? And, and the categories to give you... can differ, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even maybe uh, engaging churches, schools, nonprofits, and so forth. Right. That's very interesting. Well, you know, the, the fields you're working in couldn't be more important, cancer, neuroscience, cardiovascular. G- give us a glimpse, obviously non-confidential, <laughs> sure. but give us a glimpse on some of the cool directions and the exciting developments that you're seeing in some of these areas. Yeah, the one thing that I'm really, really excited about is this movement towards precision medicine. And it's it's been about a decade now, right? You're seeing it a lot in oncology. It's no longer acceptable to just say, okay, we're going to give you a broad chemotherapeutic. It's going to be very terrible, tolerated, lots of side effects. And, you know, we're going to give the same treatment to everyone. Now it's, what biomarkers do you have? What mutations do you have? And, you know, what that does is that gives you a very narrow range of patients where you know, based on your clinical trial, that your product will give you the best efficacy with the best safety profile. And so it's this idea that by by understanding the science at a deeper level, so, you know, going back to my academic days of drug target discovery, understanding that basic science, translating that all the way through the, the drug development process to make sure that we're incorporating the right biomarkers to ensure we're stratifying patients, understanding the disease as well as possible and making sure the right patient gets the right product. So that's what I'm seeing heavily in oncology. You know, you're seeing a big push in several different rare diseases right now. You know, there's 7,000 different rare diseases that end up afflicting, I think it's over 10% of the population across all of them, right? But each one is so tiny. But because of that, then you have an opportunity to really hunger down and understand that disease and make sure that you're trying to get something novel, something innovative, something impactful to those patients. 
The other thing that I, I really am excited about is neuroscience, right? You can read papers all the time where the neurodegenerative space, so Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS even, is in the same kind of grounds as where oncology was about 20 years ago. So a lot of foundational work going into better understanding those diseases, understanding how to best stratify the patients and understand what's unique about each of them, not treating them all the same. So a lot of that foundational work's being done now. So I'm really excited to see what comes out in terms of innovative treatments for and care for those populations in the next five to 10 years. Well, and your background includes, as you mentioned, collaborations uh, with research groups of all kinds, even with the NIH. There's so many creative partnerships out there right now. Companies that you thought would never cooperate, let alone collaborate, sign cooperative deals. What are you seeing in this area as far as creative team-ups? Yeah, so across the boards, I'll speak to neuroscience because that's where I was working in those very unique spaces. To your point, you'd never think that some of these major competitors would come together and collaborate in the ways that they do. We're talking about massive initiatives to share clinical trial data and really do a deep dive of, well, why are our clinical trials failing? You look at like Alzheimer's, you have some of the worst approval rates in any therapeutic area. I think it's about 2% approvals across all of, of Alzheimer's. And so companies are realizing they can't do it alone anymore. The problem is too big. And frankly, companies aren't willing to take on the risk by themselves. So what you see is these really innovative partnerships where companies are coming together and saying, okay, what would help us improve our odds of getting a product to patients, something that will truly make a difference? And it's understanding that science and it's often sharing data. It's potentially doing some new prospective studies. And and we did recruitments. We did, can we assess different ways to measure different biomarkers and see which ways are best? So we just publish the data. We make it very publicly available. Uh, I was involved in literally one of the largest natural history studies of all time called the Alzheimer's Disease Neuroimaging Initiative. It's been going on for 15 years, looking at longitudinal data for patients, trying to understand uh, Alzheimer's progression, understanding, again, how do we stratify these patients, make sure that the right patients get into our clinical trials and that we can actually make an impact for folks. So you see these really big problems that are trying to be tackled and to de-risk the solution finding and make sure that we're just not abandoning those disease areas, the companies are coming together and trying to find solutions so that then they can go and take that data and create the products on their own on the back end. Yeah, seems like a very positive development. Well, my guest is Michael Bjarns. He's manager of new products and business development at Janssen. And of course, Mike is speaking on his own behalf and his own opinion. He's not speaking for the company. Which brings us to the question then, Michael, as you think about the future, kind of periscope a little bit for us, where's the next step in really bringing more patients into clinical research or trying these new and innovative solutions? Yeah, so I see a big push right now, and I think it'll just continue to grow in technology. So, you know, every every day we carry around a miniature computer in our pocket, right? And there's all sorts of wonderful companies and biotechs that are creating applications for patient-reported outcomes, which are being heavily utilized within clinical trials. But also, you know, like me, I have a, a fitness tracker, right? Like a Fitbit on. Things like that are being used to monitor sleep patterns. If it's like a, a neurodegenerative disease, if it can measure 
measure shaking. It can measure how you're breathing, how you're talking. There's ways that people are now tracking the way that you interact with your computer, depending on software. So is your mouse trembling a little bit more than it used to? Is it taking a bit longer for you to get to the right applications than it used to? And again, it's this longitudinal data where you're looking at a patient, establishing a baseline and getting to understand what normal looks like to them so that you can understand, are they progressing? Are they worsening in whatever disease they might have? Or maybe it leads to a new diagnosis. So it's going to be incorporating technology into our day-to-day, which enables us to better engage with patients long-term. It'll make it easier for them. They don't have to go to the doctor all the time if they want to report their symptoms, how they're feeling. I I think that's the future of of how we can get more folks involved in clinical research. Very good. Well, we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on something, a personal project of your own, Mike, and that's your book, Redefining Success. Great leadership, personal development book. I wanted to tie this together maybe in our discussion. Chapter 11 is entitled, Be Like a Scientist and Run Some Experiments. You know, if we're really developing our own emotional intelligence, especially as we listen to patients, how can we run some experiments, try new things to be better listeners? So I love the title of that chapter because the the intention is it it can fall to any walk of life, right? The idea is don't just dismiss something because it either sounds hard or complicated or something that you wouldn't enjoy at all, right? You never know until you try something if you're going to like it or not, or if it's going to be an easy experience, a good experience. So there's all sorts of wonderful ways to get involved in healthcare as just a normal individual. So, you know, the, the first way is, you know, you can start to just educate yourselves. That's, that's easy, right? Like low hanging fruit, just you, you can pick up. There's all sorts of articles, great resources out there. But the other thing is to start engaging in research, right? We're always trying to recruit new individuals, it could be healthy volunteers, to engage in in developing some of these web applications that we're talking about, things on your cell phone. It could be a game. There are literal games on your computer that potentially as a part of a research study, a research participant, they might even pay you to be part of this to just interact in a game. And you can be a healthy volunteer potentially. And it's helping us develop new novel techniques to improve patients on the back end. And so I like to say that, especially in this country, we we like to wait until something goes wrong to seek treatment, <laughs> right? Unfortunately, that that's what a lot of us are, are primed to do. But if we can get a little more proactive and, you know, obviously you engage in your primary healthcare provider, engage in some of these research studies, you're going to help move the needle for the future so that we can continue to innovate, continue to bring things to patients and improve patient outcomes long-term. And I love the subtitle of your book that includes stories, science, and strategies, which is almost uh, something to underscore from our discussion today, isn't it? That we need to bring those patient stories and combine them with the science. Yeah, it's all about storytelling. You don't need to get too, especially the general public, as soon as you're talking too much about science, you need to be able to say it in a relatable way. And the best way to do that is to bring stories, patient insights, literally real life perspectives to the forefront. As soon as you do that, people start to listen, people start to care, you bring emotion into it. And that, and that's what it's all about. In the end, no matter what we do on a day to day, in the end, it's about improving that person's life so that when they tell their story, they can say, they can end it on a positive note and say, well, because of this product or this new innovation, I feel a lot better today and I'm able to live my life in a better way. And, and so got to bring those stories to life. 
Well, Mike, can't thank you enough for this great discussion. My guest has been Michael Bjarns. He's the manager of new products and business development at Janssen, a pharmaceutical company of Johnson & Johnson. He's also the author of a leadership book called Redefining Success, Stories, Science, and Strategies. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. This is great. And thank you, listeners, for coming by our new podcast, The Patients Speak. And we want to thank 83 Bar for making this podcast possible and really raising all of our awareness to listening better to what the patients have to say. I'm Mark Stenson. Come back again for our next interview, talking with another healthcare executive about what they hear when the patients speak. Thanks for listening to The Patients Speak. Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey with best-selling author Mark Stinson. Presented by 83Bar, the patient activation company. Learn how 83Bar listens, educates, and navigates patients at 83Bar.com. Our podcast is hosted on Captivate.fm, so you can listen wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host another show you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. It's a top-rated podcast featuring interviews with creators around the world. We help you gain the confidence and connections to launch your creative work out into the world. Look for Unlocking Your World of Creativity on your favorite podcast app.